She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Episode 18. Miracle Man. Okay, I have to say that every time we say Miracle Man, I keep wanting to like do it like I'm singing Missionary Man from the Eurythmics. Oh! <laughs> like, don't mess with a Miracle Man, but it's not the right, anyway. Not the right syllables either, so it totally messes it up. So... Yeah, I just, I think of, like, a superhero or something, like Miracle Man, saving the city. Yeah, so Miracle Man, episode 18. All right. This episode was written by Chris Carter and Howard Gordon, and it was directed by Michael Lang. Yeah, so apparently the writing team of Gonza and Gordon, so Alec Gonza and Howard Gordon, they wrote a lot of the episodes, and they're actually, like, co-produced on the episodes, but apparently they split up sometime around here why chris carter and howard gordon wrote this episode and this is actually the first one that they wrote together after the split although we do get another gonza and gordon episode in a couple weeks so i'm not sure on the timing and then they apparently get back together because like they worked on stuff and they co-created homeland in 2010 so yeah i'm not sure what the timing is or why alec gonza left or anything i don't have the juicy rumors Ooh, yeah, I'd like to know that story. <laughs> anyway, Miracle Man was filmed in Vancouver and Langley, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, March 18th, 1994. And the previous episode, EBE, aired on February 18th, 1994. So there were four weeks in between the airing of EBE and Miracle Man. On February 25th, I guess Fox did like a Fox movie special and they showed hot shots from 8 to 10. And then on March 4th, they ran a rerun of Space. And March 11th, they did a repeat of Eve. So they did show X-Files two of those weeks. It was just repeats. And then they finally aired Miracle Man. Yeah, I wonder why the movie. Because I know, like, Thanksgiving weekend, they did the um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie instead of the X-Files. Right. I'm just wondering why February 18th would be like, oh, we're going to show. Oh, not February 18th. It would have been uh, February 25th. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. What made that special to do a Fox movie night? So anyway, this episode had a viewership of 11.6 million in the United States. Nice. So in this episode, the FBI wants Mulder and Scully to look into these mysterious deaths that are people who had gone to a faith healer, and then they basically die right after and not of the thing that they wanted healed. So it's like, it's unclear what's killing them. And the healer is a young man who all but pretty much confesses to the murders. And he's like, I'm evil, lock me up, whatever. And Mulder suspects there's something else going on. Probably aliens. Prob- I mean, what else could it be? I mean, though? if Mulder suspects something, it's probably <laughs> aliens, right? I mean, that's, that's his MO. That is, you know, he likes other paranormal <laughs> stuff, but yeah. Yep. Yep. So we are in Kenwood, Tennessee, and it is 1983. So... 10 years ago, according to X-Files, much longer according to now. So 37 years. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, there's a building on fire and there's people like gathering around to like watch the flames and, you know, just, you know, the standard onlookers kind of thing. And there's a bunch of fire trucks and there's rescue workers there and they're running around and an EMT is pushing a body on a gurney and the fireman stops him like, what are you doing? He's like, this man's dead. And he's like, well, there's a woman still alive over there and she needs oxygen. So get to work. So he goes over and then like this guy holding a Bible and he's with his kid. They walk over to that very same gurney 
and just like unzip it. And the boy starts touching the body and praying on it, like rise up and heal. And the fire, the same firefighter comes over. He's like, what are you guys doing here? You can't be doing that. And he's like, well, this man is, you know, he's dead. And then the preacher, we assume he's like a preacher. is like, well, if he's dead, then there's no harm. And so the kid keeps like, heal, heal, feel the power of the Lord, heal, heal. And then the dude who's in the body bag, who is barbecued, like just like, <laughs> like when you put like barbecue sauce on some chicken and then char that sucker and it just turns like black and crusty. That's his whole body, right? Right. This arm is just like, it reaches out and it clasps the little kid's hand and holds onto it. And the little kid kind of, kind of smiles it's kind of weird i mean he's got that little kid creep going on that seems to happen with little kids even if they're not trying to be creepy (laughs) but then uh x-files x-files it's the theme song (laughs) yes yep (laughs) yeah yeah so there is one thing in this scene that bothered me because like we actually like we're seeing it like and and it's supposed to be tennessee right and so there's actually a lot of people of there's a lot of, of black people in like the crowd and everything. I was like, oh, you know, cool. They actually like tried to make it look kind of like the South, right? And then the EMT is also black and he's pushing the gurney. The firefighter is white and he's like, hey, you go do your job and makes the black guy leave. But then like the white guy with his white kid shows up and he's just like, oh yeah, you can totally touch this dead body. I don't care. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's a little awkward <laughs> just to have like, you know, the the only black person be yelled at by a white guy. It's like, mm. Yeah, kind of like, oh, man, like, you were doing good. I was like, yay! And then I was like, oh, no. But it's, I get, like, okay, if there's someone who's alive that needs help, like, leave the gurney, it'll wait. Like, that's fine. But, yeah, no, I get it. So then we see a VHS tape, and you can tell because it's all, like, grainy. It has little lines running through it. People who didn't have to live with VHS tapes don't know the pain, but... Yeah, it is, a little, it is a little jarring because you don't get, like, the TV frame. Like, the whole thing you see is just that footage, and so you don't see that it's on a television at first. No, so it's, a little, it, it's a little jarring to, like, suddenly see, like, whoa, what happened to the visual quality here? yeah. I don't know. I, I immediately was like, oh, that's a VHS tape. And you see this preacher and he's like running through a tent and people are clapping and cheering and they're all excited. And he's wearing white and he has like this purple tie. It's actually kind of a cool look, but he works the crowd and like, he's like, yes, welcome. Like, and he's like, you know, doing the preacher thing, which I can't do. And there's this woman lying on the table and then it kind of cuts out and you see that it's like a VHS tape playing and Scully stops the tape And she tells Mulder that the woman on the table has a malignant tumor on her spine and the man with the tie is going to attempt to heal her by having his son lay hands on her. And the tape came from the regional FBI office in Tennessee. The preacher's name is Reverend Calvin Hartley. And Mulder actually interrupts her because he actually knows all about Calvin Hartley. So he's like, she's like, the preacher's name is, and Mulder's like, Reverend Calvin Hartley. So he's all up on this. And apparently his son Samuel is adopted. So Hartley claims he found the boy on the banks of the Mississippi River when he was like, I guess, a little toddler or baby. And he also claims that Samuel saved a man by bringing him back from the dead. And Mulder says that that's true or at least believed to be true because the resurrected man is like part of their sideshow. And the FBI thinks the whole thing is like this big scam and they've been trying to shut them down for a while. They think there's murder involved and they're not really clear on like how or why. 
And then back on the tape, Reverend Hartley announces that doctors claim the woman on the table's beyond help. And like Samuel stands over her and then like Scully stops the tape again. And then she's like, yeah, 20 minutes after this, this woman was brought to the hospital and pronounced dead, but she didn't die of cancer. And it's like unclear how she died. So, and then Scotty's like, she's so funny. She like apologizes to Mulder. She's like, I'm sorry, this isn't really an X-File. And he's like, he's totally, he's all up for it. He's like, cool, when do we leave? Like, he's into it, so. Yep. Mulder's eating sunflower seeds the whole time. Yep. <laughs> and then I like his little, like, when he's talking, because he know, like you said, like, he knows about Reverend Hartley. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, he's like, his son's been performing miracles every week for the past 10 years, twice on Sundays. Right. So, which is kind of weird because every week, but then twice on Sundays. So it's like, is it anyway? The, yeah. The, the phrasing there is a little weird, but I kind of like that. It was like, just that little like advertising thing and twice on Sundays. Yeah. So. And I think it's kind of cool that Mulder knows about this. Cause like, if you're interested in the paranormal and claims of the paranormal, like I feel like faith healing is a thing that people claim a lot to be able to do. And so I can see Mulder kind of being into it, especially if there's like a documented case where this guy was like, quote unquote, brought back from the dead because like, there'd probably be documentation saying, oh, he must not have really been dead, but also, like, I'm sure it was a fascinating story for Mulder, so I can see him, like, staying up all night reading it on the internet or whatever. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, like, he was brought back from, like, the dead, like, at the scene. Yes. And so, like, there probably wasn't, like, an official pronouncement of death. Right, exactly. I mean, so although they had zipped up his bag, so you hope they had some idea, because you wouldn't want to, like, suffocate the poor dude. Right. But, um, yeah. But also TV, so... Yeah. Yeah. So we are at Miracle Ministry in Kenwood, Tennessee. And again, we're going to assume now that it's modern day, right? Because we've already established that Mulder and Scully are talking about stuff. So Scully and Mulder arrive at a giant tent where the Reverend Hartland ministers. And there's a big like marquee and everything. And there's like merchandise booths sat outside and people are wearing like hats and T-shirts and I don't know if there were stuffed animals, but there was basically like a lot of merchandise. Yeah. And then, and then Sheriff Daniels pulls up and he checks on his wife. Cause I guess he brought his wife with him and she's sitting in a van and it has like a disability parking sticker on the window. And he's like, don't worry, I'll be okay. And so he leaves cause he's going to go into the tent. And then inside the tent, Reverend Hartley starts working the crowd, you know, doing the Reverend thing. Hallelujah. Da, 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 da. But then he says that Samuel, like he's very sad because he's like calling out people like, you came from Florida and you came from so-and-so and all this stuff. And he's like, so I'm very, I'm very, very sorry to say that Samuel can't be here today, but in two short days, Samuel will be back. So do not fear. And then it's kind of like Southern Nixon. I don't know. Anyway, Scully wants to leave and go back to the hotel, but Mulder's like, no, I want to stay in. Actually, he says, what does he say exactly? <laughs> he says, like, he says no, that, they're about to bring out Elvis or yeah, something. Yeah, this, this is when they bring out Elvis. Yeah, so we get, El- we get Elvis reference. <laughs> yeah, but he wants to stay in and watch the testimonial because they are going to do testimonials of, like, people who have been previously healed by Samuel. Right. So, yeah, so we get we get Elvis reference. And then, like, on that marquee, there's this underneath it. It says, come as you are, leave as you always wanted to be. It's like. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, their marketing department could work on that. It could be snazzier. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I made a note about the disability sticker because like my theory when I saw that was that she was at some point in the episode going to be healed by like Samuel. And that's yeah. why they were pointing that out and it was making such like a, a thing of it. So that was my theory. We'll find out. 
Yeah. And I can totally see that, especially because, like, you know, TV tropes, like, he's like the non believer, right? Because he's there. We can tell, like, when he goes in the tent, he's obviously looking, like, for, like, Samuel, like, to arrest him or something like that. And he's obviously part of the group that called the FBI in to start investigating the whole thing. And so we kind of, we kind of get that vibe. And you're like, well, he's a non believer, but his wife is, you know, his wife is afflicted. And so at some point, like probably by accident, like, you know, he's going to lay hands on her and then she's going to be healed and it's going to make like, oh my God, what's going on? You know, right. Kind of thing. Like that would be like, that's drama, that was, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was my, my thinking. Cause that does seem to happen a lot in these shows. So. Yeah, I do. Like we don't get any, I mean, I guess we're probably, I'm, I'm probably like jumping ahead, but like, like my first thought would be like, well, why can't like, like Mulder and Scully would be like, well, why can't Samuel be here? What's going on? Right. right? And like, we do get to that later, but it's not like he like couldn't get the day off from like the gas station or something. I doubt he like, you know, has a job or something. <laughs> so after the show, Mulder and Scully stop Hartley as he's leaving the tent and they want to speak with Samuel, but obviously he's not there. And they're like, well, you know, where is he? We'll go find him. And Hartley's like, I don't know where he is. He's been troublesome lately. And it's just like, you can tell he's kind of annoyed that Samuel's not there. So clearly something's going on. Well, Samuel is the moneymaker, so... Uh. Well, yeah, oh, for sure. And the man with him wears a dark hat and jacket and has sunglasses, and he's pale, and you can tell, like, his skin has, um, like, he has, like, kind of scarred skin. It's kind of puffy, mm-hmm. um, which he, <laughs> we'll find out later, and I did not figure this out until later, but he is the guy who was resurrected at the scene of the fire, so that's right. who is i don't know why it took me so long to connect those dots but for some reason i did not i could not yeah because he's got a he's got a big hat and he wears sunglasses and he's got a big black trench coat and he wears gloves so like he's covered up pretty much as much as you could be covered up without looking like the invisible man right and then sheriff daniels comes over and he introduces himself to Mulder and scully and he hands scully the coroner's report and daniels is not a fan of hartley he says ever since the boy joined the act Hartley has a Cadillac for every day of the week. So clearly like he's making bank on this and the sheriff thinks it's some kind of like money-making scheme. Mm-hmm. He also doesn't know how people are dying, but obviously Samuel's laying hands on these people usually when they die or like right before. So something's going on and they've been looking for Samuel since Tuesday, but they can't find him anywhere. So they have no idea where he is either. And they've never done autopsies on most of the dead, because the ministry has been like paying people off to like not request autopsies of their loved ones. And a lot of these people are like, I would assume terminally ill. So I I would assume like maybe their loved ones are just like, well, we don't need, you know, the death isn't suspicious enough for them. Yeah. I don't know that they're paying them off, but they're like saying like, you know, it's like sacrilege to do it. Yeah. And then a a lot of the people are like, you know, they're, they're obviously like, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, they're into it, they're contributing money to the ministry, and so they're believing whatever is said, that like, oh, you shouldn't do that, because like, you don't want to desecrate their bodies before they go, and God looks upon them, so that kind right. of thing. yeah. So Scully's like, well, let's dig up the bodies. Like, Yay, exhumations! <laughs> I mean, hopefully, like, no coffins are going to be, like, rolling downhill oh, like, gosh, the last time know. they were on <laughs> exhumation. But, uh, and, and then we do kind of get a we get sort of an explanation about what's going on with Samuel. Like he actually is missing. He's not like they're just not it's like hiding him to keep him from the police or something. Right. Yeah. We don't know. No one knows where he is. Yeah. So then we get a shot of like a backhoe is like, you know, starting to dig it out to get to that six feet level so we can get the coffins out. The sheriff is there 
and Scully and Mulder are there and a couple of deputies and everything, right? So they're building. And it turns out they're doing this at night for some reason. They've got like spotlight set up. And then like from out of the mists and the fog, we see a bunch of Hartley supporters start to come in with like candles and they're led by Leonard Vance. He's the man who was raised from the dead. Where's the black trench coat and hat and sunglasses? Wearing his sunglasses at night, Corey Hart. Anyway, so they're like, Scully's like, you know, we're federal government and they've been ordered that we do postmortems on these bodies. And Vance is like, you know, the dead families don't want them dug up and we're going to hold a vigil and protest and all the, you know, just, you know, again, with like the desecrating bodies in the eyes of God and da da da. And so what I don't get here is they kind of just like, okay, well, if you're going to watch us, I guess we can't do this. And then they get a call and the sheriff says that Samuel's car was found downtown. And so the Scully's like, well, we can't do anything here anyway. So they all leave. And I'm like, uh, you could, I mean, I felt like a hypocrite saying this cause you know, a cab and whatever, but like you could arrest them. Like they're just watching. You could still do your job. You could still like do justice. You don't have to like just yeah. stop cause people are there. And I think part of why they were doing it at night is probably to avoid this. Like they didn't want these people to know they were doing it. And they found out anyway and came storming over. And so, I don't know. I mean, they've already got the backhoe, though. I feel like at that point, you're halfway there. Just Yeah, and it's like, oh, they showed up. Like, well, I guess we can't do this, even though we, we're assuming, like, you know, you've got, like, a court order and all this kind of stuff. You've got backing. You're not you're not doing it at night because, like, we don't want anyone to know because we're not supposed to do it. Like, it's legal. So why no, are you No, I would say up? they were doing it at night to hopefully avoid a protest. But, yeah, right. it didn't work. But, but then... But then they just like, oh, well, guess we can't do it. We'll leave. Like, <laughs> All right. But I have to like nice culty visuals here. Like with, like there's just enough fog. It's not like overdone. Like I'm very impressed with it. Good, good cinematography on this one. So good job, director. Yeah. Michael Lang. Good Michael job. Lang. <laughs> so Daniels, Mulder and Scully end up in a bar near where Samuel's car was found. And Samuel's there. He looks really beat up. And he's like, hey, can I finish my beer before you arrest me? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Daniels thinks that, like, there's no question this kid is guilty. Like, the only question is how he's been killing these people. But Mulder's like, look, let him finish his beer. Let me have a minute with him. And so they sit down with him, Mulder and Scully do. Daniels is somewhere else. And Mulder's like, hey, you're looking a little rough. <laughs> and Samuel says it's like penance to get the crap kicked out of him because he's a guilty sinner. And Mulder's like guilty of murder and Samuel nods and he says his pride and weakness gave the devil this opening. And so like he claims that he's healed a lot of people, but like obviously something's going wrong now. And Scully kind of gives him like, you know, her little, her standard skeptical look. And so he's like, what, do you doubt the power of God? And she's like, no, actually, but I doubt the veracity of your claims. And Samuel says he can, like, see the pain on Mulder's face. And he's like, oh, yeah, it was from a loss of, like, a sibling, brother, maybe sister. And then he's like, yeah, someone took your sister away. There were, like, strangers in a bright light. And at that point, Daniels is like, okay, we're done here. And so he cuffs Samuel and is, like, leading him away. And then as he is, he, like, tells Mulder to open his eyes and he'll find signs from God. And, like, Scully's just sitting there looking at him like, you can't be serious. Yeah. I mean, once again, someone's playing Mulder because he's, like, laying it all out. Like, as soon as he says, like, because when he says, like, a brother, Mulder's like, 
you know, he starts to like turn it like he's like, you're, like you don't even know. Like I don't even have a brother. But then he says a sister, and then Mulder's like, what? <laughs> and then just like totally I... just like like cold reading him like hard. <laughs> it's just I know, and that's the thing. Like Mulder should be really well versed in like the tactics of like cold reading and hot reading. Yeah. And like this kid probably wouldn't have known to like look Mulder up, but like cold reading's really effective because it starts with stuff that's super vague. Mm-hmm. And like your sister was taken by a stranger and there were bright lights. Like that's a pretty vague guess when you think about it. Cause like most kids are if they're gonna be kidnapped by a stranger, it's gonna be like at night a lot of the time. I don't know. It just seems like or, you know, they could have a car or a flat. I mean, anything. Like, it's just such a vague, cold reading. But Mulder's suckered in. Like, he's just immediately. Yeah. He's, he... It was a pretty interesting scene, though, because, like, when they come in, like, Samuel is, like, because, like, he has beer, right? He's, had, he's he's obviously been in a fight. His face is all kind of beat up. He's got, he's actually got quite a bit of blood on his hands. And we'll find out why in a little bit. I didn't realize at first, because it's not until the very end of the scene that we find out. But I was like, wow, that's a lot of, like, really red blood on your hands, dude. Like, take a cue from the Fog crew on, like, special effects. But anyway, but he's, like, so he's got beer, and he's beat up. He's obviously been, like, in a bar fight, and he's smoking a cigarette. But he keeps, like, stopping to, like, look at the cigarette. Like, you're thinking, like, this is probably the first time the dude's had, like, alcohol and, like, cigarettes. Because he's very, like, like, experiential. Like, just, like, trying to get, like, you know, everything he can out of it. Just, like, he keeps stopping to look at it. And just, like, and then he'll take it, you know. And so it's very interesting yeah but the reason why it turns out he does have so much blood which is why i was wondering like his face is kind of cut up but like he has like blood between his fingers and stuff and you're like dude what is going on but when they handcuff him he's got stigmata oh i didn't notice that i totally missed yeah that. no he's got stigmata in his palms and i'm like whoa 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 okay and then like and like that's never mentioned like in all the rest of the scenes in the episode his palms are bandaged but like no one ever mentions the fact that he actually he has stigmata. Wow. Yeah. That's a good detail. Yeah. And yet no one like it's not mentioned at all. <laughs> it's kind of weird. But so then we're at Kenwood County Courthouse and we're at Samuel's arraignment hearing. And Samuel's lawyers requesting that he be released without bail. And then Samuel like jumps up and says, that's not a good idea. If the judge lets him go, like he's going to have like deaths on his head and all this kind of stuff. And then like, you know, he tells him to sit down. This is not like a revival. This is a courtroom. And then the prosecutor says like, you know, we don't want to like impose on the county. Like there's no, we don't think he's like a flight risk. There's no really need to have him like in jail, but we do need to, you know, follow the law. And so we request like the minimum, which is a hundred thousand dollars bail. And so the judge says, okay, boom, boom, hammers down. And then like, there's bugs and there's like grasshoppers like start jumping around and landing on people. And then people start freaking out. The judge is flipping out. He's like jumping up and like shaking grasshoppers off his gown. And people are like, ah, and there's like just grasshoppers everywhere. And they're like all over all the tables, like just grasshoppers everywhere. And Samuel stands up and he's like, the Lord has testified against me, you know, because like, you know, plague of locusts, grasshoppers, whatever. And then like everyone starts fleeing the courthouse and I guess Sheriff Daniels wasn't in the courtroom, but he's standing like in the hallway and he's watching all the people like run by and then Reverend Hartley and Vance like stop and kind of give him a look and then they go past and leave. So, yeah, good times. Good times. Yeah. So a couple of name things. I have, I have some detailed information because we know that's my job. Right. So we're in Kenwood, Tennessee, and this is the Kenwood County Courthouse. And it's not. 
uncommon for like towns and counties to have the same name. Right. Although like Kenwood, Tennessee, it actually doesn't exist. If you search for Kenwood, Tennessee, it redirects to Clarksville, Tennessee, for some reason. And I'm not sure why, but that's in Montgomery County. And Clarksville is the county seat of Montgomery County. And there is a Kenwood High School in Clarksville. But I'm not sure. Like, there's actually, like, an actual, like, redirect page from Kenwood, Tennessee that says, like, redirected from Kenwood, Tennessee and takes you to Clarksville. Huh. I, don't know if that's, I don't know if that's an X-Files related thing. Like, a lot of people punch in Kenwood, Tennessee because X-Files or what. But there's or something Or maybe going the on. name changed or something. Well, that's what I thought. But when you read the history of the town, it's always been Clarksville since it's founding, like, in the late 1700s. Oh, weird. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where the Kenwood, like I said, there's a Kenwood High School, but that's like pretty much the only thing. There's no Kenwood County, no Kenwood Town that I could find. But yeah, I mean, you know, 10 minutes on the internet. Maybe there is. I have no idea. So, and then the judge's name is Hamish Purdy. And so I was like, like that name was interesting to me. So I looked it up and I came across a little mystery because there is a Hamish Purdy who works in the entertainment industry. Huh. And his career started in 1992. And so you're like, oh, he's someone who works on the X-Files, right? He never worked on the X-Files. Weird. He did, however, work on Millennium in 1996. And then, like, he's got, like, he got, like, an Oscar nomination for, like, The Revenant in 2016. So, like, most of his big career stuff has been happening, like, in the 2000s, late 2000s. But he's worked as a, um, in the art department. And as a set decorator, but he did not work on the X-Files, but he did work on Millennium like two or three years later after this episode. Like, is it coincidence or did it was like someone's like he was a friend of like someone because he actually is from Vancouver. He yeah. went to school in Vancouver, did all his film school stuff in Vancouver. Yeah, maybe so like he some, like knew somebody. And so yeah, he was just like their friend it. or something. And so they named the character after their friend. Maybe, but their, but their friend was. It was just kind of. I was like, that's like an interesting name, and then for him to actually have worked on Millennium, which does lend that thing of like he's a friend of someone who works on the show, right? And then later he got a job working on Millennium, but I was like, well, that's weird though, because he's not actually not. He doesn't work on. He has no X Files credit at all huh. on his IMDb. Weird. So, yeah, Hamish Forrest Purdy. It's his <laughs> real name. Cool. So yeah, fun little fact. <laughs> So Scully's examining a grasshopper. Mulder's like reading about the plague of locusts from the Bible. And she's Scully, got her magnifying glass again too. From she last does. Episode. She likes it. Uh, and Scully says 2000 grasshoppers don't constitute a plague. That's a lot of grasshoppers. So Scully, I'm sorry. I mean, there were a lot in that courtroom. It was pretty gross. And I, yeah. I like grasshoppers, but that was I wonder a lot exactly what quantity does constitute a plague just because 2000 doesn't constitute a plague. Like what quantity does, but. Yeah. So then Scully, like, because she knows Mulder pretty well at this point. And so she's like, does this have something to do with what Samuel said about your sister? And he stands, like, he doesn't really answer, but he hands her a stack of files. And they're like, the records of patients who went to Samuel after conventional medicine failed them. So people, and like, these are people he healed. So like, they went into remission from cancer or their conditions reversed themselves in other ways that like, conventional medicine would say is pretty rare 
And Mulder's like, you know, conventional medicine treats the body, but he thinks there's like an electromagnetic field that maybe can be manipulated to heal or something like that. Like he has, that's just like one of his theories, I guess. And someone knocks on the door and it's Leonard Vance, who I was calling sunglasses in my notes because I still didn't know who he was. So I'm like, it's sunglasses. It's sunglasses. Um, hey, if I can call the other guy Ramstein from last episode, you can call <laughs> Leonard Vance sunglasses. That is totally cool. Yeah. And he's like, hey, if you guys aren't too busy, Reverend Hartley would love to see you, basically. So, yeah. Mulder, he's such an easy mark sometimes. It's, he it's, is. I know. It's like you just mentioned his sister and he's all in, which, like, I get. I get it. But sometimes I just want to shake him and be like, buddy, you know all this. You know yeah, and, better. And he was hardcore. He was like street preacher reading that Bible, like pacing back and forth in the hotel room while Scully was looking at the grasshopper and trying to talk to him. He was like, just like total like Bible and verse. Da, 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 da. Like it was pretty intense, I thought. Yeah. So they're at Hartley's. Well, I guess it's like they're, he's got like a big desk, but it's at his mansion because obviously been doing pretty well with Samuel, right? For the last right. 10 years. So it's like his big, home office. Yeah. So he's got a nice mansion. They pull up. And so he's there at his big desk. But you would think it would be like, like the CEO office sort of is what it looks like, basically. And he asked, he actually asked Mulder and Scully for help. That's why he wanted to see them because he believes that Samuel is innocent. And Mulder says, well, that's not going to fly with the jury. Like just you thinking he's innocent. And Hartley is like, well, people fear Samuel's power and want to destroy him. And he says that Daniel has been after him since he first started like 10 years ago, which correlates to Daniel's talking about like he remembers Hartley from, you know, back when he was a street preacher collecting dollars. So he mentions that Daniel's wife suffers from painful arthritis and that he's like her hand. What, what's the phrase he uses? Her hands are are like crippled, like bitter root or something like a bitter root like they're just all like warped or something there was some kind of like like uh like plant reference to use something about roots or something i forget yeah but you know like and so and like he refuses to let his wife like for samuel to get near her so that samuel can heal her and but given the death scully's like well you can't really blame him for not wanting knock your son to touch <laughs> his wife and he's like he doesn't know why those people have been dying but he implores them to come to the tent tonight to see how it works and that, you know, Samuel, because Samuel is going to be there tonight. So it's apparently been two days right. and he's that way they can see what's going on. And while they're talking in the window behind Reverend Hartley, Mulder sees a little girl in a red dress and he gets up and runs out of the room. And Scully's like, what Mulder, what are you doing? And so <laughs> we can guess that this is probably supposed to be Sam that he saw. And so he's out looking. He's like, where's the girl? Where's the girl? And like, there's a guy out there like waxing the car, washing the car or something. You know, one of Hartley's many Cadillacs that he has. And he's like, there's been no little girl here. I don't know what you're talking about. And then Mulder looks up and Samuel is like looking at him from the window, smoking a cigarette in the house. <laughs> Dad not probably gonna be happy about that. And then I don't know if it's supposed to be a coincidence or not, but Samuel is also wearing like a red shirt. Yeah. As well. So. It is kind of funny that both their names are Sam. Like, I thought that was funny. That it's oh, I did not even think of that. I was like, okay. that's kind of weird. Yeah, because, I mean, it's, it's Samantha, but I always just say Sam. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, Mulder. Like, so, like, Samantha wouldn't even be a little girl anymore, though. Like, No, she wouldn't. She'd be, like, in her 30s or late 20s or something. She would basically be Scully's age. Yeah, so it's yeah. just... Anyway, I you know, and I get maybe he's like, oh, it's a sign of some kind or something, but still, it's just mm, yeah. Older. So they go to the tent, and this is obviously the evening, and people are filing in, 
and Leonard Vance is there to help greet people as they come in. And there's this woman in a wheelchair and she kind of stops at the entrance and he's like, oh yeah, he like bends down. He's like, you can have a front seat. And she's like, smiles or whatever. And then we cut to like the back of the tent where like Hartley gets ready and Samuel's there and he's like, I can't go out there. I can't go out there. And Hartley's like, God is just testing your faith. You need to be faithful and you know, you can do this. And so Hartley convinces him that he should go out there and demonstrate his power. And then this is where they do say something about like, you know, like you saved Leonard and they point to the guy in sunglasses. This is where I figured out who he was. So it took me this long. I don't know why I could not connect those dots in my head, but for some reason that did not even click until the scene. Also his makeup, like Leonard's makeup, at least in this scene, it looks like really bad paper mache. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, it's not the best. I mean, I mean, you assume he's probably wearing like heavy makeup or something because his skin is all messed up. I don't know. Like it's been 10. I mean, I realize you know, you can only do so much with people who are burned. I mean, you can't do like skin grafts and that kind of stuff. And they've obviously probably got some money because he's a, he's like, we find out later, he's like living there. Like he lives with them. Right. So like he has access to, and maybe that's why he looks the way he does. Maybe he'd be even worse if it hadn't been for whatever they've been doing. Yeah. But yeah. It's whether it's makeup or maybe that's whatever. I have no idea. But so little spoilery, but I'm not going to try and say too much. So finding out what we find out later, that scene where the woman and like her, her parents, cause they, her parents wheel her in. Cause she's like a young woman, right? She's like, you're probably guessing like supposed to be like in her early twenties, maybe mid twenties and her parents wheel her in that scene with him greeting them. And then like guaranteeing that she gets to sit in the front. That's, that's harsh. Yeah. That's creepy. It's going to, it's going to be, yeah. So uh, Mulder and Scully arrive at the tent and people are clapping. There's the Reno revival music. And Hartley comes out and starts working the crowd again. And a woman hands along her collection plate. Scully's like, oh, miracles don't come cheap. So, <laughs> Which I loved. Uh, I thought that was funny. Yeah. Hartley introduces Vance to the crowd and explains how, like, he was brought back from the dead. And so Vance talks for a little bit how, like, Samuel saved him with the power of God. Da, 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 da. And then they, enter, they bring Samuel in. And right as Samuel comes into the room and starts to like work the crowd, like he's going like from like person to person in the front row. But as he starts, Mulder looks to the side of the tent and he sees the little girl in red again. So of course he gets up and runs off to find her. And people are in the as, as like Samuel's touching people and like healing them and laying the hands on them and doing the whoa kind of thing, you know. People are jumping up and clapping, so Mulder has to like you know, work through the crowd to try and find the girl and he can't find her. So he's like roaming the whole tent trying to find this girl. And then Samuel gets to the woman in the wheelchair and he bends down and puts hands on her and then tells her to close her eyes and puts his hand on her head. But then she starts convulsing and choking and can't breathe. And everyone's like, Oh my God. And Scully rushes over. And then like, she just like dies right there. Boom. Dead. And so then Hartley and Vance like usher Sam out of the tent and you know everyone's like oh my god something's gone wrong she's dead so yeah yeah not cool that's a very it's kind of because like the like the father and the mother there the mother's crying and they're you know what's wrong with my daughter what's going on what's going on so yeah yeah it's pretty awful so then we get to kenwood county hospital and leonard vance is like standing in front with people they're having like a vigil And he's basically preaching to them. And he's like, you know, if the body is desecrated, the soul is desecrated and she won't get into heaven or whatever. And then we cut to inside the hospital and Scully is speaking to the woman's father. 
and she's asking like what was wrong with his daughter and apparently the young woman had ms and she had never had a seizure before so that's totally unusual for her and you know Scully thinks it must be some kind of embolism because it was so sudden and because it, you know, it doesn't really line up with like, it's not like MS killed her that way. So especially if she's been like relatively fine, I would think not that I know anything about it, but I'm just assuming like she's never had a seizure before. That's weird. And then suddenly she does when this kid's touching her, that's odd. And then like Scully's like, are you really going to be content to bury her without knowing what really killed her? Like, is that going to be okay with you? And she's not mean about it. She's just pretty like, you know, is that going to be okay? And the woman's mother's like sitting in a chair nearby and she's like kind of half crying. Looks, She's kind of cried out at that point, but like she looks, you know, really sad. So the man goes over to talk to his wife about it so they can discuss it. And Mulder asks Scully if she believes the boy actually killed her. And Scully says, no, she doesn't think it was Samuel. And then she asked Mulder who he was chasing. And she's like, was it your sister? And he like kind of doesn't answer. And she's like, the power of suggestion is really powerful. Like if you imagine a miracle, you're halfway there. And then the woman's father comes back and he says that they're going to agree to do the autopsy. Yeah. And Mulder does like at first he kind of avoids it. But then later he does say like, I've seen her twice now. Like, and that's when she's like, you know, power of suggestion, that kind of thing. Right. So, like, but he does. Yeah. But at first he does kind of like divert. And earlier when she had asked him about it, like when he was reading the Bible and she asked him directly, like, is, you know, it's because what he said about your sister, he totally avoids it and just be like, I have all these files and doesn't bring the subject up at all. So this is kind of the first time he actually admits that he's been seeing her. Right. And I have to say, though, obviously we've seen the episode, so we kind of know. But we keep hearing that Reverend Hartley is against all the autopsies because, like, none of the people who have died have had autopsies because, like, you know, Reverend Hartley's been against it and he's been telling the families, you know, that they'll be, you know, desecrated in front of the eyes of God, da 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 if they do autopsies. And yet now in the two scenes that we have at the graveyard and here at the hospital outside, it's actually Vance who is talking, doing, like, the desecration gospel and is telling people like that shouldn't happen because Hartley is like not present at all in these scenes. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because obviously if he thinks his son's not guilty an autopsy is going to be a great way to like prove that. So (laughs) you think he would be more for it. Yeah. So we actually don't know if he's for or against it. I mean, we keep hearing that he's saying that, but what we actually keep seeing is like, it's the people around him that are saying it, not necessarily he is. We don't actually don't get his jive. So right. not saying he doesn't, but anyway. So then we get the autopsy scene, basically. And uh, oh man, I, I'm sorry. I do not think that doctors use like kitchen steels when they're like sharpening their knives before an autopsy. That scene just like, I don't know what was going on. Cause Kelly's all like <laughs> sharpening her knife where she dies in. I'm like, I don't think they do that because it's like surgical steel and like, you know, they take all that. But anyway, I could be wrong, but I don't think they do that anyway. So Scully turns on a recorder. It's like 11 something at night, but it is March 7th. You had mentioned we get a date watch in this episode and there we go. Doesn't say the year though. She just says March 7th. We know it's 1994. Well, we can assume because yeah, yeah. we don't actually know for sure. So then she starts the autopsy and Mulder's like sitting on the counter watching, like sitting on the counter too. I'm like, one, (laughs) like you're in a medical facility. You shouldn't be like putting your butt on the counter, Mulder. But then again, you apparently can just use like kitchen stools to sharpen your tools too. So I don't know like how the uh, autopsies work in Tennessee. But like when she starts in, Mulder's like, like looks away and like kind of covers his mouth. And then she's like, 
come here, I want to show you something. He's like, do I have to? And she's apparently just got the lady's lungs, like, just hanging out in the sink. And she picks him up and is like, oh, look, it's cellular hypoxia, a lack of oxygen in the cells. And she thinks it was probably, like, cyanide or arsenic or something. But she won't know until the lab opens and it's not open until the morning. So, right. Yeah, so she totally took her lungs out. And uh, I have to say, those lungs are pretty firm and pretty full looking. Yeah. I'm thinking they might not be real lungs, but I could be wrong. <laughs> I'm like um, Mulder. I just look away. I'm like body parts. Oh, no. Yeah. They basically look like plastic lungs is what they look like. Like you would have in the little model that you can take apart, you know? Yeah. So then we're at the Kenwood County Jail and Samuel's sleeping in his cell. And Mulder wants to talk to him. And he tells him basically, like, I'm asking to have you released. And Samuel's incredulous. He doesn't want to be released. And he asks why. And Mulder's like, did you poison that woman? And Samuel says, no, but he's like, but I'm responsible. And Mulder says, like, no matter what Samuel believes, the law is going to find him innocent because there's no evidence that he actually killed her. And then he kind of tries to push a little bit about his sister, but then Samuel claims he can't see anything anymore. And he asks if Samantha's still alive or if it's a trick. And Samuel's like, you mean a trick of the devil? <laughs> And Mulder gets kind of frustrated, and so he just leaves. And Sheriff Daniels is outside, and he's like, hey, you should release this kid. Like, he's not guilty. And Daniels, like, still doesn't believe that. He thinks Samuel's still super guilty. Mulder thinks he's just determined to charge Samuel because he's a suspect. Well, the real suspect goes free. Yeah, he walks out saying, like, your real suspect's still at large, no matter what you want to do. Right. And then we see one of the guards at the jail... He kind of lets in two men. So, like, Sheriff Daniels is gone, and this guard lets these two guys into Samuel's cell. And he locks them in, and the men just, like, start wailing on Samuel. Like, they just beat the crap out of him. And the guard is just, like, standing there. And there's a guy in the cell across the hall. And, like, the guard looks over, and the guy across the hall is kind of, like, watching what's going on. And he's like, what are you looking at? And the guy just, like, turns away. He's like, uh. And, Yeah. Yeah, and this guard or deputy, we're not sure if he's a guard yeah, or deputy, whoever what his is. job is, but he was actually with Daniels when Mulder walked out. Right. The two of them were standing at the door when Mulder left, so yeah. same person. So, and they actually, like, like imagery-wise, we see, like, from behind him, like, he's being punched, right? He's, like, up against the bars, so his back is to the bars, and the dudes are just, like, wailing on his face. And then we get another cut that's just shadow. And the shadow shows that, like, he is actually, like, strung up on, like, they tied his wrist to the bars. And they're beating him. So it's kind of a little bit of like Christ imagery, a little bit. Okay. So we get some of that going on. Apparently, it's not supposed to be because um, the director says apparently they even went more over the top with the like religious imagery in the episode and some stuff. And the network told him to pull it out. And he actually references this scene and says like the crucifixion motif they used where his arms were up in the air while he was being beaten. The network told them they had to take it out. And so they did. But yet it's in the scene. Maybe so they not, just cut, cut through it so quick that, like, no one caught it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Or maybe it was restored now. I have no idea. That would be strange also. So, But we cut. So we're at Sheriff Daniel's house. And there's a guard who comes to the door. Not a guard. like probably Sorry, a deputy. deputy. I'd say yeah, guard because they were in a prison. But, yeah. That's fine. I need to think my own thoughts and not just read your notes. <laughs> so a deputy arrives and tells him there's been an incident at the jail. And the sheriff's like, what incident would that be, deputy? And his wife is like... Hi, Dennis. Like, that's <laughs> apparently his name. His name is Dennis. And he's like, the preacher boy's dead. And so they're like, oh. So Scully and Mulder show up at the jail and ask Daniels what happened. And they're like wheeling like the body out. 
And he's like, well, apparently he picked a fight with two guys that we picked up for a DUI and they beat him up pretty bad, gave him some head injuries. And apparently he died before the medics could arrive. And then Reverend Hartley shows up and he accuses Daniels of having Samuel's death on his head. He's like, how long are you going to hide behind this badge? And of course, Vance is there too, like trying to like, not very well, like hold the Reverend back kind of stuff as he approaches the sheriff. And Scully goes up to Reverend Hartley and says like, she's sorry for his loss. And Mulder's staring at the jail and Scully walks over and looks at him. And he's just kind of look, he's just kind of looking up at the jail. And she's like, Oh, you've got that look on your face. And he's like, what look? And she's like, that look where you can't find your keys and you're trying to figure out how to get back in the house, <laughs> which I don't, I don't necessarily get. Cause that would imply like he's going to try and break into the jail. Yeah. I think that's exactly what it implies, but that's not what they do. No, but it, I think that's sort of, the the look is that he's like unless, thinking of like how to get inside to like unless the jail stuff. is like under the courthouse because in the next scene we're gonna find out they're in the courthouse. I think it's the same building. I think it's like the courthouse so maybe that jail. does make sense. Like maybe they do sneak into the courthouse. That's what um, I thought happened. But, but yeah, anyway. So like the sheriff is apparently dirty. I know. <laughs> Ugh. And I have to say though, Deputy Dennis, he kind of looks a little bit like Randy Rainbow. Yeah, I think he, it's his. I, I think it's his eyes and maybe his haircut. But I was like, oh, he's cute. Anyway, yeah, the haircut so. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I know he definitely. Does. Yeah, I think he has. I think he kind of has the eyes too. But that was definitely like. Soon as I saw him, I was like, oh, like he doesn't. Like he doesn't look like Randy Rainbow. But that's the first person I thought it was Randy Rainbow. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got that style. He was a very adorable looking man, by the way. So. Anyway. <laughs> so inside, this is they're in the courthouse, and so they're like poking around. And he finds a grasshopper and then he kind of looks, Mulder looks up and he sees that there are grasshoppers stuck in like the air vent in the ceiling. Yeah, they didn't do a really, there's still some grasshoppers on the ground and stuff. They didn't do like a top-notch job of cleaning the courthouse. Right, so they haven't swept them all out yet. They've gotten most of them. There are still some remaining. So they go up onto the roof and they find like a trail of grasshopper food. Yeah, like potatoes, I guess. The vent, yeah. So it's like leading across the roof into the vent so that means somebody like set it up so that they would swarm the courtroom and Mulder thinks whoever did that is the real killer yeah because scully mentioned that you can apparently like just order like thousands and thousands of grasshoppers right from which like, i mean grasshopper store or something so. well i mean you can order crickets through the mail and you can order them like by the hundreds or thousands which i've done because i used to have toads that would okay. eat crickets and they just come in a box and then there is no seal on that box. You open it up and they jump out all over your apartment and you have crickets in your bathroom for months. Anyway, oh. so that is a thing you can do for sure. Wow, so you ended up with a plague of locusts and a plague of frogs because you had toads. I had toads and they were my toads were awesome. They were named Merlin and Gandalf. Oh. Yeah, they were cool. But yeah, I had to feed them crickets. So, so one time I tried ordering them through the mail and that was a catastrophe. But you can do it. Cool. So we end up back at Hartley's mansion and Leonard is asleep in bed. So Leonard Vance, he's asleep in bed and Samuel shows up and he's like, why did you betray me? And so Samuel, you know, he's like, why did you kill those people? They came to be healed and you murdered them. And he's like, I gave you back your life. Why did you betray me? And like Vance, like tries to take a swipe at him with like, it's like a golf. Did he have a bat or a golf? I forget what he actually uses, like a bat or a golf club or something. Yeah. And like it goes through Samuel, which makes sense because when Samuel first appears, he's got like goldy, glowy light all over him, which then immediately like disappears. And we just have the actor standing in the room talking to each other. So anyway, 
And he's like, you call this life? Like, you know, because he's all burned and messed up, obviously. So, like, in a way, he's, like, unhappy he was brought back to life. Or, like, he wasn't, like, he was brought back to life, maybe, and it wasn't completely, like, healed. So he's still, like, all, you know, burny and scabby and unattractive or whatever. And then Mulder and Scully arrive with Sheriff Daniels. And they're, like, you know, Hartley answers the door. And he's, like, what are you doing here? And he's, like, we're here to arrest Leonard Vance. And so they run up. You know, because Mulder Scully is like, well, we trace an order of grasshoppers and cyanide to Leonard Vance. And so that's why we're going to arrest him. So we get the little answer to the question. And they run upstairs and Leonard Vance is in his bed. And he's like, oh, oh. And he's like saying like, Samuel was here and he forgave me and I'm a bad person. And they find out like he drank the cyanide. Scully is like, oh, we don't know how much he took. (laughs) And then... He says Samuel appeared, forgave him, and then ugh, he's dead. So, yeah. So this is where this episode totally went off the rails for me because, like, okay, I can kind of see Vance being behind him because that would make sense. He touched the woman in the wheelchair first, so mm-hmm. if he gave her some kind of cyanide, it would take a while to take effect, and then when Sam, you know, Samuel touched her, got a secret spy ring with a little needle in it or something. Something, or I mean, you could just—I yeah. think if it's enough, you might even be able to just put it on her skin, or maybe he gave her some like some wafer. Gave her something to drink. And who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So, but like. His motives make zero sense. So, number one, it's super gross. Like, the whole, like, I'm having to live in a disabled life, so it's not worth it. Like, that's disgusting. But even if he's miserable and he wishes he wasn't brought back to life or whatever, it makes zero sense to kill these people. None of them have 90-degree burns. They're all coming to Samuel asking to be healed because that is what they want. They are not being healed against their will. And he's not out there raising the dead. He's not, like, hanging around like burn down houses and like trying to resurrect like charred corpses or anything or even like resurrect dead people he's not doing that anymore as far as we know he's just healing people who come to him for help so like this whole i'm killing these innocent people who come to you because they want their tumor healed like it doesn't make any freaking sense like it's so ridiculous yeah it's like why i mean one i mean you can't assume why people do stuff like that right but it's like like okay so like your revenge on Samuel for bringing you back to what you consider like a living hell, like, you know, I'd be better off dead kind of action is that you're going to kill a bunch of innocent people to get back at him. Like that makes no sense. Why wouldn't you just like take advantage of your situation and like kill Samuel, like maybe slowly poison him or something. Right. Or, I mean, not to, you know, endorse it, but like, if your life is so miserable, why don't you just, if you wish you were dead. Right. I mean, so I mean, I definitely don't advocate that, but if you're going to kill other people instead, I feel like, yeah, it's just, you know, then, you know, you don't need to do that. It's just so, uh, I was like... I mean, I I could get it, like, you know, I didn't ask to be brought back to life kind of thing. Sure, and there could be resentment there, but, like, if you're trying to get back, you've been with this, it's been 10 years. He just started the murders, like, what, a couple years ago, probably? Like, it's been recent. Yeah, so it's been, so it took him a while to think about it. I mean... And, like, there are other ways that you could discredit him or, like, get back at him without killing people. Anyway, yeah, I was like... And he's been living pretty good on the back end of that Yeah, 10 years. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, the motivation's a little weird. It's a little wonky. Yeah. There's also, I mean, it it does bring in to, I mean, and again, this is not something he wished for, but it does kind of go into that whole, like, I don't know if there's, like, a whole genre. But like that trope of like, you know, be careful what you wish for. You get all those stories about people who like, you know, make wishes with genies and like how you phrase the wish. It turns out it ends up being like detrimental to you. 
you know, or like wishing yeah. for immortality. But like you said, I want to, I want to live forever. And in your mind, you're thinking like, I'm going to be young and youthful my whole life. But it's like, you get to live forever, but then you like, you still age. And so like, you know, you're 200 years old and you're just like a decrepit mess. And so, but again, he didn't wish for it, but still like, that's not a reason to go around killing people. No, especially innocent not. people. Yeah. Yes. Um, although I will say his eyes and especially like his eyelids and his lashes are in pretty good condition for someone who was essentially charboiled 10 years earlier, especially considering like the rest of his skin is pretty messed up and we find out like his hair is a wig, right? Cause he's bald. Right. So he's just got, but yeah, he's got eyelashes and, and you assume his eyes would have been like nasty. I mean, one, you almost would assume like maybe he would have been blind just because he got burned so bad. Right. And like your eyelids aren't that much protection for your eyes. And so like, why was he, he was wearing dark glasses all the time because his eyes are a nasty mess and doesn't want to gross people out. But his eyes actually look fine. He has lashes. He has lids. His eyes are, you know, they're not all opaque or anything. So whatever TV. So, but yeah, Scully, hmm, suddenly you can't tell how much poison someone's had. <laughs> yeah, anyway. that was kind of a funny little callback. <laughs> There's actually a lot of callbacks to this because I kept, I immediately kept, every time Mulder sees Sam, I'm like, it's Eve because she's wearing a red dress. I mean, not the exact red dress they had like, but I was like, oh, it's a little girl, same age and she's in red. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. So then we get the narration of Scully doing her field journal. She's typing away and I, they're still in their hotel room. So she's in her hotel room, Mulder's in his hotel room. And she's like, instead of trying to stop or kill Samuel, he decided to kill his believers. Da, 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 da. She's typing. So basically everything we already know, which I'm not sure why we needed this narration. Cause like, she's not wrapping up anything. We don't already know. Right. We already know what's going on. So this one seems a little weird. Usually she's like doing like, is it still considered exposition if it's at the end? I don't know. Yeah, she's usually, doing like a voiceover that kind of wraps stuff up usually. Yeah, but usually it's stuff like she's wrapping up stuff that we haven't seen or like details we haven't gotten. Whereas this, like, we already know all the stuff that she's saying. Right. So this one seems a little weird. He killed their believers but, to stop them from coming, to ruin them, which is a really convoluted plan that doesn't make any sense anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and then after Samuel's death, he kills himself because apparently Samuel came back from the dead to like, haunt him or whatever and she concludes that there were no miracles in kenwood tennessee we also get because we're getting like cuts between like she's typing her thing and like Mulder's packing his stuff because they're getting ready to leave and we find out that apparently now Mulder carries around a framed picture of sam with him whenever he goes on investigations and i'm like chris carter i know this was you i know you put this in the episode like We've never seen this before. And now suddenly he's like carrying around pictures of his sister in a frame. Even I'm sure so, it's totally just so we can like totally get confirmation. This little girl he's chasing. Uh, is yeah. Because to be we're, his sister. Cause we're, com cause we're complete idiots. And we need like Scully to tell us all the stuff we already know. And then um, for us to like make the link of, Oh yes. Mulder is really attached to his sister. I mean, yeah. A frame <sighs> photo. That's a, that's going a little far. Especially cause this is the first time we've seen it. And they've gone on lots of Maybe investigations. Maybe like a wallet photo, you know. Yeah, and and he has talked about Sam before, right? There's been issues with Sam in previous. Oh yeah, episodes. she's a huge part of his motivation. Yeah, like with conduit, and I think there was another episode where she came up too. But yeah, but this is the first time we see like the frame photo of her, like on his on his little bedside in his hotel room that he like picks up and looks at lovingly as he puts it in his suitcase. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> All right. <sighs> So 
So anyway, then Mulder gets a call that Sam's body is missing from the morgue. So Mulder and Scully run down there and they interview a deputy who says the night nurse who reported the body missing actually saw Samuel get up and leave. And then the nurse tells them kind of a slightly different story. She says that she saw Samuel walk past her and his face was all black and blue. He got beat up. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but like as he's walking by her, like she's like, that's weird. So she goes to check the morgue and the body's gone. And the sheriff thinks he's totally crazy, but the nurse is like, I'm not crazy and I'm not the only one who saw it. And it was really him. Mm -hmm. So then we get a scene of Daniels and he's walking up to his house and he kind of stops. He takes his hat off and he looks up at his house and he kind of like leans against like the side of the house. And then he eventually goes in and his wife was looking at a newspaper and the headline is all like faith healer rose from the dead. And she's like kind of starting to cry. And she's like, is it true? Is it like he really, so he was really, he really was a faith healer. He really did have the power. And then like the sheriff doesn't know what to say. And she's like looking at her hands. Her hands are all like gnarled and stuff. And then someone knocks at the door and it's Dennis, cute Dennis. And he's like, sheriff, the DA wants to talk to you about what happened with Samuel's death. And so we find out that apparently the wife wanted to go see Samuel, but he never let her. Or maybe she thought that he was full of crap. And now that she's like thinking maybe he wasn't full of crap, she's regretting that she wasn't. Yeah, I don't know. It seemed almost more like, especially because like in the beginning, we think the sheriff is pretty cool. And then we find out he's not cool. Yeah. And then now this like is another level of like, like he maybe like kept her from doing it on purpose because he didn't like he's his own biases and so he wouldn't let her but. Yeah, that's possible. But We don't know. I kind of read it I kind of read it as her husband had told her it was a fraud all the time. Yeah, that's what I thought. Didn't want to set her up and so she didn't do it but maybe she, you know, because I mean if you think about it, I mean unless like, you know, Vance got a hold of her like it doesn't, it wouldn't hurt anything for her to go and do it. I mean, aside from like maybe false hope, right? Right. But and that's yes. pretty much my issue with faith healing in the, in like the whole thing. Like, it's fine if that's something you want to pursue in addition to your other treatments, but like, don't cancel your chemo appointment and don't just no. believe that you're healed after you have to still do the other stuff. Because yeah. the the most damage that like false cures and like fake healing and any kind of false cure of any kind, any snake oil, is just that it steals time away when you could be getting real treatment and actually get stuff taken care of so well and more so i mean aside from that yes because you're you're avoiding real treatment but also and this is something that scully brings up several times not like directly but she she hints at it and it's true is that also like if you're scamming people like if you're taking money oh yeah that, absolutely yeah like the no, money that's... aspect is another thing because you're taking people's one you're giving people false hope which is not cool right I mean, if you're upfront about it, like this might work, this might not, right? And we do know, like, it's like the power suggestion, the placebo effect, like, is a real thing, right? And so, but like, if you're taking people's money, and then also, like you said, if they're like, I'm gonna do this and not use like the evil corporate pharmacy stuff, right? And to treat my illness, whatever illness is going on, that's yeah. also like awful. So, yeah, like, like, there's levels of it, yeah, absolutely. And the stealing money, especially because people, you know, treatment is expensive in this country, unfortunately. And that mm-hmm. means if you're spending money on this, you have less to spend on like whatever it is that might actually do something, yeah. So, anyway, mm, I was yes. wrong. So, the wife does not ever get miraculously healed in this episode. I was expecting that to happen, but I was incorrect. So, my prediction was wrong, yep. 
And then we see Mulder and Scully, they're walking around the tent, like outside the tent, and um, it's being cleared out. People are like pulling stuff out and they're pulling out these posters that say Samuel heels and they have Samuel's face on them and mm-hmm. some other stuff. And Mulder's like, yeah, Hartley's going to keep preaching. Like people are looking hard for miracles. And then he sees his sister in a reflection and he turns around and of course she's not actually there. So then they get in their rental car and they drive away. Yep. Yeah. And in this one, she looks like she's crying. Yeah. Where she wasn't in the previous one. So, like, is she crying because, like, he's basically saying what Scully's been telling the whole time, like, power suggestion. He's just reiterating that, like, power suggestion, you know, they'll get you. Like, they'll make you see what you want to see. Right. And then, and then, boom, she appears and she's, like, crying, like, oh, Mulder, but I, I really am here. And then he turns around and she's gone. Yeah. So that, that was also weird and didn't need to be in the episode. But no, anyway, it really yeah. didn't. Yeah. So one of the things I looked up after I watched the episode was the guy who plays Samuel because he looks really familiar and he was in some other stuff. Now I totally forget what it was because I got all sidetracked because apparently in 2003 in Washington State, he was accused of sexually assaulting a 12-year-old girl mm-hmm. and he ended up taking an Alfred plea. And an Alfred plea is one of those, if you're into true crime, you probably know what an Alfred plea is, but it's basically a plea deal you make where you maintain your innocence and you say, look, I didn't do this thing, but you accept and acknowledge that the evidence against you is pretty compelling. And if you were to take it to trial, there's a pretty good likelihood that you would be convicted. So you like kind of acknowledge like, well, this evidence looks bad, but I didn't do it. But because the evidence looks bad, I know that if I go with like a jury, they're going to think I did it. So he did take an offer plea. And he spent like four months in prison. He did do some stuff after that because he wasn't some stuff up until about 2006. And then his IMDb page kind of drops off. So he hasn't done anything since then. So anyway, just thought that was interesting because I was like, what has this guy been in? Apparently, I just probably saw him in the X-Files. Yeah. And I and I don't know. I keep hearing you say Alfred, plea. I don't know if you're saying Alfred, but I think it's Alford. It is Alford. A-L- I think it's just yeah. the way I say Alfred, you know, it's okay. the same thing. Yeah. And Alfred. so I, it was funny because in your notes, I think, I, and it was probably autocorrect because in your notes, the first time I actually did say Alfred, plea. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm probably it. saying it wrong because I always hear it on podcasts. So I hear people talk about it. And so I probably hear it as Alfred because my ear probably just goes Alfred, plea. Yeah, so I had looked it up, but it was funny because I saw your notes. The first thing that popped in my mind was like, we're at all Yankovic. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, that's <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting because like this is set up, like the Alfred plea is set up so that like you, you're like, I'm innocent, but I realize no matter what happens, I'm going to be convicted. Yeah. And so I will take a lesser penalty yeah, by, basically. By, by basically confessing to it, even though I, I am not admitting guilt. So basically, it's like saying you're guilty without technically admitting guilt. And not all states do it. And apparently, it's called the Kennedy plea in West Virginia. Yeah. But it's interesting because in this case, right, in the episode, he actually believes, like, Mulder has that speech with him, like, he believes he's guilty. But then Mulder's like, but a court's going to find you innocent. Right. So it's actually a total flip of what <laughs> happens in real life. Where he, you know, whether he was guilty or not, we don't know, but he actually takes like the exact opposite kind of thing in real life. Yeah, where he's like, nope, I didn't do this, but like, obviously it looks pretty bad for me. So I'll go ahead and take those four months. And he might have been sentenced to longer. He only served four months. Yeah. So interestingly enough about him is that, and I'm guessing this was before. 
before the Exiles. There's not a time frame on this, and it, it is it involves uh, Ganso and Gordon again. So like we know they kind of split here in X Files land, but then get back together later. But they they work on like Spencer for Hire and a bunch of other shows. I like Spencer for Hire; it's a cool show. But they apparently like wrote a bunch of pilots, and one of the pilots they wrote was an unsold pilot for ABC that this guy was actually going to be like the star of. Huh. And so they, and the, the thing that I read, it says they specifically called him for this episode for Miracle Man. So they actually like, like sought him out to be in this episode. So I don't know how much like Ganza was involved in this or like the use of they, like when did this occur? Cause like, we, again, we don't know. We know there's going to be another Ganza and Gordon episode later. And so like timing on this, but apparently they actually requested him for this episode. Okay. And then interestingly enough, the pilot they wrote that he was going to star in is actually the pilot that drew Chris Carter's attention to them and led them to being hired as part of the writing team for the X-Files. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder, yeah, well, so a lot of times, like, I, I'm, I don't work in TV. I just am a huge TV fan. But one of the things I know is that, like, you do end up writing a lot of pilots and also hopefully filming pilots that just don't get yeah. picked up. So that's, like you at least have those scripts to pass around and say, look, I wrote this cool thing, even if it didn't get made. Yeah. So we got, so we got a double linked X files here because like they, they specifically called him out to be in this episode right. because they'd worked with him. I'm guessing cause they'd worked with him previously on that pilot that didn't get sold. But then also that particular pilot was what drew Chris Carter's attention to hiring Ganson Gordon. Yeah. And I mean, he's a good actor in this episode. He won't, yeah, get convicted of terrible things for another 10 years hopefully he's not doing that the whole time but he yeah. was a good actor he was good and i mean you know <laughs> presumption of innocence i mean i mean you have to believe <laughs> but you know you're supposed to believe victims but at the same time and that's what our judicial system is supposed to be set up on presumption yeah of i mean i feel so like in, i i feel like it's hard it's a, a kid that age it's hard to believe in it yeah you know, because yeah well we don't know what I mean, and i don't, I don't know, know what the case. situation was at yeah. all i just know that that's he was, you know, arrested. Was he specifically accused by the girl? Don't or know. Was it, or was it an evidence thing? So was it like the evidence is thinking it's him, but there's I not. Do yeah. not so we don't have know. any details at all so about what happened there. Maybe he's gross and deserved to go to jail, and maybe he was innocent. We don't know. So. Yep. But yeah, the Sam stuff, I'm pretty sure that was all Chris Carter, and it was all unnecessary. Um, yeah. Because the scenes with Mulder talking with Samuel about it, both like early on and then later in the prison cell, like those were way more effective than any of the scenes where Mulder like just runs off like a crazy person chasing a phantom. Yeah, no, I agree. And like, I think it's good to remind us like what's driving him and that he has this loss because those kinds of things, like they don't go away. They're always behind that, you know, they're always in the back of your head. And so having someone pull that out and be like, even a cold reading like that would, I mean, that would probably get me at first too. Later, I would probably walk away and be like, wait, they couldn't have, you know what I mean? But like at first I could see that sucking me in, but the whole like needing to have her on film and have her chase her, that's not necessary at all. Like, Well, what, especially the chasing part, because we could have been like, you know, like, like a flash, he, like right? he sees her and then he kind of like, you know, does like the, the blink and then the, per like, she's not there. And he's just kind of like, like, whoa. You know, but like the whole getting up and leaving the middle, like they're they're doing like investigation. They're interviewing someone. He gets up and runs out. Right. They're at the tent. He gets up and runs through the crowd trying to find her. It's like that's unnecessary. Yeah. Like if, you, if you had to show her to like hammer it in, that that's what he's that's what he's reacting to. Fine. Like show her, flash it, and then he like kind of like you know you, we get a reaction from him, and then he kind of like blinks and does a little you know a little shake off, and he looks again, and like she's gone, and he's just kind of like he's 
he's affected by it, but he's not like totally just like acting like a crazy person, basically. Right. No, I agree with you completely. I think like it could have been done in a way more subtle way and it would have worked better. And it definitely wasn't, we didn't need him running all over. Like (laughs) it didn't, it didn't need to happen. So it was kind of weird. Especially because we know she's like not a little girl. So that wouldn't even be right. Like she's not, if she's dead, she's dead. If not, she's in her thirties, like, (laughs) or in her twenties. Unless we're really going to hammer on that, like time and aliens thing again. Yeah. She would still be a little girl. But anyway. yeah. 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 So speaking of things that could have been avoided, um, this could have been avoided too, but we're not going to. So Glenn Morgan, we had hoped we weren't going to talk about Glenn Morgan until later, but we're going to talk about Glenn Morgan just a little bit. Cause he apparently has a problem with this episode because he thinks it's very easy to ridicule people's faith. And so he does not like this episode because he thinks that it's not, it's not, it's an easy target. And yet no one else thinks this episode does that. In fact, it's actually praised by a lot of people for doing the exact opposite of that and actually handles it really well. And so only Morgan has a problem with it. So, yeah. Well, and like Scully does say like, she doesn't have a problem with God and she doesn't doubt his power. Mm -hmm. She just doubts this kid's power and the veracity of his like healing claims. So like nowhere are like people's like faith, you know, beliefs and all that kind of stuff, like being ridiculed in this episode or like shown as being like, Oh, only stupid people believe that stuff. Like that doesn't happen. I think it's handled really well in this episode. And right. And we kind of learned that Samuel was legit too. Like, yeah, he actually did heal people. So like that was, it was just that this weirdo that he healed years ago was like murdering people without a good motivation for it. Yeah. So I'm just presenting evidence towards the person that is Glenn Morgan and maybe what he thinks. <laughs> And then also, so Robert Goodwin, who is the co-executive producer for the series, and he was co-executive producer from 1993 to 1998. He also had a problem with the episode, but not the same kind of problem. He had a problem because like when you're dealing with the South, especially in the South, it's very easy to like play up stereotypes and kind of make fun of them, whether intentional or not. Right. So he actually hired a dialect coach to make sure that they didn't go like with the overtop Southern accents, which I think is interesting because they, they actually didn't do that in this episode. They totally did not do that. Everyone has, because they're, you know, they're all actors like from Vancouver, LA. So like none of them really have like Southern accents. So they had, they wanted to make sure that they were doing it right. Right. But then I think that's funny because like just one episode previous in EBE, we've got like horribly stereotypical, like Southern accents on the CB radio. Right. Which coincidentally was co-written by Glenn Morgan. So. Dun, yeah. dun. It is good that they did that though. I rest and my case. Got yeah. the no, they lighter should. accent. It was nice because it did feel more authentic. Like I, I have friends from Tennessee and stuff, so like that's how they sound pretty much. I mean, I'm sure they sound. Well, it, interestingly enough, when we get that CB talk on the radio in EBE, they're in Tennessee, right? Oh yeah. They're in they're in the fictional Reagan Tennessee. Oh yeah, so. that's funny. But like these people in this episode sounded more like actual people who live in tennessee yeah as opposed to like like i said like if they'd hired me to do like horrible like oh y'all we just saw these lights <laughs> up in the sky like because that's that's exactly what it was like in the episode in ebe yeah so, yeah so i'm just building my case against glenn morgan little by little <laughs> and then that is all i have to say about well it's not all i have to say because we're going to do some ratings but right. i don't have any other bits or pieces on this episode i don't have any more damning stuff about Glenn Morgan besides my own prejudices and beliefs. So I, will, <laughs> I will leave those. I will wait to present evidence only. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to rate this episode because like it was, it was okay. It was fine. It wasn't like my favorite episode and I don't have anything against it. Like I think, like you said, the Sam stuff was a little overdone and kind of unnecessary. Mm -hmm. I like Mulder and Scully's interactions in this episode. I thought that was good. I like their characterization. I mean, I feel like it's pretty solid. I didn't like Leonard's motivation. Like I felt like <sighs> it's just I yeah, I honestly didn't like anything about Leonard Vance at all. And whether that's the actor or like with the makeup or how they presented him, like I just Well, because they like present him as like anything. this zealot who's like such a big follower of this of Hartley and his son because the son brought him back to life that he's like living in their house and he's like preaching their stuff on the sidewalk and like making a living basically introducing well not even making a living he's living off what right. someone else is doing i mean well both hartley and vance are living off what samuel was doing right basically. but i mean I you could he, argue maybe hartley because hartley was a reverend you know and i mean you could before, argue that he's but, making a living by being there as like an example and by like doing the introductions and doing the preaching like because he does clearly work as like a you know he works at the tent like he helps check people in he's yeah. organizing the followers to do like protests and stuff whether that's something that Hartley wants or not, we don't know. But like he's clearly involved in it, so I think he's he's working, and he's making a living at it. And who knows? Like, I don't know what his compensation is, but the point is, like, he seems like he's really invested. I mean, I could see him resenting it and like resenting that like this is kind of what he's stuck doing because maybe now like because of the fire and his injuries, like maybe he he can't do like traditional jobs. Like he can't, you know, do certain things, which would make sense. And so maybe he feels locked in and trapped. And I feel like that would be a better motivation to explore, but like, they don't explore that. They just, it's like, Oh man, I'm gross and disabled. That sucks. So I need to kill people. And then myself, cause my life's not worth living, which is a super gross trope anyway. And then like, Again, doesn't make any sense because it's not like like if he's trying to scare people away from the tent, there are better ways to do that without killing people, especially in his position. Like he's in a really good position to like sabotage stuff without murdering people. Yeah, I mean, I mean, motivation aside, I think it's more of like what his solution to that is, is the is the issue of like, I'm going to kill innocent people to get back at this guy who brought me back to life and made me live. Like, and that's the thing. Like, I get it. Like, it wasn't like, you know, someone brought me back to life. Like you would be miserable and you would have feelings of like, like, you know, why, like, why am I here? I mean, and that's maybe a question you should ask, like, you know, especially if he is like a believer and into the God thing, like why, why did God choose for Samuel to bring me? Like, what is my purpose? And it's like, apparently he thinks his purpose to be brought back to life was just to go kill people because like, he doesn't think about that aspect of it. I wouldn't say like, oh, I don't want to live because my life is like that. Like I'm alive. Great. But I could see where that you would still have those feelings. Right. I mean, cause you are, you know, you are apart from people, right. No matter what your comfort level of like life is, you're still apart from them just because of, you know, how you look and, or whatever, right. Or, or your abilities. Like, you know, I don't know what his mobility is like. He doesn't like, he's not running anywhere, but he doesn't seem to have too much like mobility restrictions because of like his, you know, condition from that. But still, I mean, like you, you would still have like self pity, I think 
no matter what. Um, I'm going to say no, but maybe I don't not. Know. I don't know. I, maybe, maybe it depends on the person. There's a lot of people who would argue with you, and I'm not in a position where I can do that effectively. Well, I'm not saying that it's incorrect if you felt that way. I'm not right. going to. If if someone did feel that way, I would not say like you need to not feel that way because you're alive and you should be doing it. Like I'm not going to. I guess either way, like yes, you shouldn't say like oh someone deserves to be that way. But I also don't think you can say that someone shouldn't be allowed to feel that way. Oh no, they can be allowed to feel that yeah. way. And I think that's where I'm going. With, like, like yeah. you, you might, you might. I'm not saying you would. I'm saying a person might feel that way. Totally, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean you go kill innocent people. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing. Like, well, and the problem is, like, it's just like with the stuff we talked about in a previous episode. Like, it's just that because disability is generally portrayed as something that is gross and your life isn't worth living that that just feeds into that like narrative which so it just makes it a really problematic trope yes, it doesn't mean that it's not a that. story that can happen yeah. it just means that it's a trope that we see so much that it's just depressing to see it and then have that be his motivation for this is just like oh really like you couldn't come up with something better like there are be- i feel like there are just better ways they could have had him be like resentful of maybe like having to live in like the shadow or like, you know, maybe feel like, like he's like a circus he's, monkey and he has to yeah, perform I was like, all he's the an time. Exhibition, like he's in right. a side show. Right? I think there would have been better ways to handle that. And they just, because they didn't really dive into it at all until he's like on his deathbed. And then we get like this weird, yeah. like, uh, I'm miserable. And he keeps bringing people back and I got to stop him. And it's like, he's not, I, well, then stop him. Don't be killing people. <laughs> well, and he's like, not bringing, he's healing people who like, it's so different too. Like it's not like I know, but if he's like, like, like we need to stop. With, like I like like if his rationale is like I need to stop Samuel from doing what he's doing because right. he's gonna eventually do the same thing he did to me. Then like then stop Samuel. Don't right. be like killing the people that he's trying to help. That's well, not, you could even go out him. there if you really wanted to stop him. Go out there and say it's a fraud. Say he yeah. didn't bring you back. Like that's way easier than like I mean cast doubt. There's so many anyway. Anyway, don't kill people. Like, don't, don't yeah, kill murder people. Murder is bad, you guys. Murder is bad. Don't do that. So yeah. anyway, I think I'm gonna give this episode probably like a four. Like it's like I think oh, okay. it's shadows. Like it's 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 okay. I mean, it's kind of tilting towards Jersey Devil, but I think it's it's got enough cool Mulder Scully interaction, and it's got enough like at least the mystery was kind of interesting. Like who is the murderer? I thought that was good until we found out. <laughs> Until we found out who it was, that wasn't as good. But like, at least it was suspenseful. Well, I think I am going to go with a. I'm looking at my previous numbers here to figure out where I want to fit this in. Um, Yours actually, you you do a pretty good job of like when you, especially when you reference other episodes, like, and you say like, oh, it's kind of like in this, and I'm like, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm like. Dude, she's like dead on. She's like totally nailing it with what she's saying about what other episodes. So you've got a better sense of what's going on. I seem to have more trouble with this. Um, I think I am going to actually go with a six for this episode. Okay. I think it was a little better average. Like, I think the performance is really good. Yes. Um, like, yeah, I mean, there were issues like, you know, the whole Sam thing. And then obviously the motivation for like, and, and again, maybe not even the motivation, but like, his method is ridiculous. His method of like trying to enact, yeah, like I like I said, like I you know I could I could see like you know understand someone maybe feeling that way, but like you don't do what you then do, right? That's not how you. If vengeance is what you wish, like that's not how you achieve it. So, 
but yeah, I'm gonna go with a six. Okay, cool. Which puts it a little above. Like for me, this is kind of like a. Mm, this is kind of like a Beyond the Sea episode. Which, looking back at my numbers, I did give Beyond the Sea a seven, but I think this one has a few more issues that I probably take note of. Yeah, that Beyond the Sea didn't have. So I think I think six does a good job for me. I think okay. six. I think six falls right where it should for for my personal rating. Yeah. Okay. Which I think is only the like maybe the third episode that I've rated higher than you, possibly. Um, I would have to scan these numbers here really fast. Yeah, I'm so looking at one. It. There's two. There's three, there's four, yeah, four episodes. Okay. So four episodes I've rated. So I, I rated Squeeze a little bit higher than you. I rated Eve a little bit higher than you. I rated Gender Bender higher than you. And I rated, now this one, Miracle Man higher than you. Yeah. Yeah, and this one, like, again, it's it's like Shadows, where, like, if the marathon was on and this one was playing... I might like play Candy Crush or do the dishes or something. I'd probably <laughs> leave it on in the background and then I'd see what episode came on next. And I'm talking about those fun TV marathons where they like do like kind of a shuffle play, which they used to do. I feel like now, I mean, I don't even know. I don't even have cable anymore. So you're just hitting play on Netflix and it just goes in order. But <laughs> I'd be yeah. like, huh, I wonder what's going to come on next. You know, and I'd probably, and I like Mulder in this episode, except for the whole chasing Sam around. I like, but I like that it kind of, shows how because i feel like one thing we learned about Mulder and ebe is that he can be played if you play the right yeah the right notes Mulder will sing along and i think yeah. one of his big weak points is always going to be sam and like this kid just plays right into that well i mean sam and ufos in general because like yes. eve like eve plays him like a violin when oh he's interviewing yeah her. with the so, red lightning or whatever mm -hmm. yeah and no. the men from the clouds yeah yeah, apparently from the it's hard to cold read Mulder. Apparently he just wears that on his face. Yeah. Although I do have to say, so like, okay, so I've rated four episodes higher than you have, but overall your average is higher than mine. Yeah. So we've rated a few of the same, but we yeah, I'm definitely, I am definitely more of the, the cynic of the X-Files <laughs> so far. So I do have to say though, because I, I say this, I said it a lot in the last episode. I think Scully's character was handled pretty well in this episode. Yeah. It seemed much more good. where it should be. She wasn't. She wasn't having. A, you know, she wasn't being used as an exposition tool. She wasn't being used as like a hard counter to Mulder. Like I think. I think she slotted in really nicely of that like willingness to like accept things, but then also be skeptical. So, and whether that was because they were like you know you know using her like her religious her Catholicism a little bit in this episode, it does get referenced a few times. So I wonder if they were like you know, tweaking that a little bit as well. And that maybe that helped with it. But I think yeah. she was, she was a very, a very good representation of Scully in this episode. Yeah. I mean, she does tell Mulder, like you're, she does call him. I don't want to say call out. She calls him down. Maybe like she is quick to point out, like, don't be so quick to believe. Don't be so quick to jump, you know, on these crazy. Right. But I don't think that's like in some of the episodes when she's doing that, she's doing it despite things that she has obviously seen like, right. Right in front of her own eyes. No, no I don't think it's just bad being, like, in this episode. Hard... No, the, yeah, it's not. That's what I'm saying. It's but good, in some, yeah. In some, at least in my view, in some of the times when she does that in previous episodes, it does seem like she's like, they're, they're, they're pushing a little too hard on that. She has to be the skeptic. Right. So whereas this one, it was a nice balance. So yeah. She was handled, 
they wrote her well in this one. Yeah, I liked her in this episode too. And I, I was wrong. I thought her Catholicism came up in Beyond the Sea, but I do think it comes up in season two at some point where they get into okay. it a lot more deeply. But it wasn't the episode that I thought it was, so I was incorrect about that. Yeah, because I guess the well, aside from the whole godson thing in Jersey Devil, and then like she's wearing a where is it where she's wearing the cross that I noticed? I forget. I think young at heart, she might be wearing a cross. There's a couple episodes I think where she might be. Okay, but I think this is probably the first like direct reference to Catholicism for her. Right. So yeah. All right. Well, that was fun, and the next episode is shapes, which I am scared is not going to be fun. I mean, it'll. I don't know, but I'm. I'm I mean, I have concerns. Yeah, I mean, it it can go. It could go south. I mean, it is going to be. I mean, I was excited because it is going to be the first episode we have written by a woman. So not yes. just a bunch of white dudes, right? I mean, probably a white woman. Marilyn Osborne, yeah. Yeah. Um, although she apparently hangs out with Glenn Morgan. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right. I don't know if that bodes well. <laughs> <laughs> so, also, yeah. I know that it does sort of appropriate an indigenous legend, so. Yes, and and not, it. yeah, it appropriates it incorrectly as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so, so yeah. But but I do I mean we'll see we're gonna get werewolves I like werewolves I do like werewolves so we'll see yeah. maybe so we'll see how this works we'll see maybe it'll be good so come back next yeah. time and I'll you know and if you guys have thoughts on Miracle Man or any other episode let us know like I'm curious what you guys think of these episodes so reach out to us on social media or you know just ping us sometime and say hey I like this episode because of this or I thought this was awful let us know yeah and let me know what you thought of the um. ASMR because I could do the credits <laughs> like that every time if you really want to. I really can't. So, so. <laughs> I'm not good at it at all. Well, I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production, editing, and mixing is by Lazyan Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and the truth is what we make of it by the Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. That really helps. Yep. Check out our show notes. Our show notes have summaries. Our show notes have our research materials. And also all the ways you can contact us online. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like The X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch <laughs> episode 19 shapes and try to figure out if the the truth truth is still out there. there
And I'm calling that one solid. You think so? I think so. We All can do right. it one more time if you want to. No, I think that's good. I'm, I feel I think good that one, about it. I think that one was solid. I feel good. Okay. If not, let me know. <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Yeah, I mean, All we right. have time before this goes out. We could do it again. Yeah, we have a little, a little bit of time. Just, Just a little. little.